Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have another doozy of a Supreme Court case, which we are just going to dive right into. By popular demand, people asking me on my social media to comment on this case, as I did earlier this week with respect to the Bostock case, we have before us the Supreme Court of the United States decision on the Department of Homeland Security, what you will see referred to in this opinion as DHS, versus the Regents of the University of California, or as you might hear it reported on the DACA case. Now, before we dive into the substance here, I do want to give my tilts, as we like to do here in virtual legality. First and foremost, I do not view Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, as a very clear thinker. In my opinion, he is one of the worst jurists, one of the most muddled writers of jurisprudence on this and many, many, many other topics. I think there were a number of ways to discuss the Affordable Care Act that didn't involve a penalty tax. I think there were a number of ways to discuss the census citizenship question that didn't involve a seven or eight way dispute among all the justices. But Chief Justice Roberts has this authority to manage the opinions of the court as long as he is in the majority in the role of Chief Justice and he uses it as a weapon against, I think, me personally. I also want to give the tilt that in terms of DACA, in terms of immigration, I know a lot of you come into my comments and like to talk about my political leanings, try to guess as to what I am on any given perspective or spectrum or prism or line or whatever it might be. And I know a lot of you think I'm a leftist. A lot of you think I'm a Trumpist. I will say in general, I'm in favor of a fulsome immigration policy of allowing as many people in as the country can maintain. And I'm in favor of Congress getting off their butts and doing something about what is a very torturous, very difficult, very Byzantine process as it stands today. With that all said, I think this is an absolutely terrible decision. I think it is the kind of abdication of responsibility that I have long railed against and has unfortunately become emblematic of the Roberts Court. So let's talk about what the decision is. Now, if you aren't familiar with the Roberts Court, you should know that he always winds up with these massively bifurcated opinions. This is, at the end of the day, a 5-4 opinion invalidating and asking for remand at the lower courts, an additional discussion over the Department of Homeland Security decision to rescind DACA. So the Obama administration puts DACA in place. The Trump administration tries to rescind it. The Roberts Court, by 5-4 decision, says that rescission is unlawful because it was arbitrary and capricious. But as you can see on your screen in front of you, there's all sorts of managed dissents and concurrences and different people agreeing with different things. Part of the actual opinion of the court doesn't have five votes behind it. So part four, we're not even going to cover because it's not an official legal opinion. And this is just the way Roberts operates. Now, if you aren't familiar with DACA, he does a good job summarizing the overall landscape of things at the start of this case. In the summer of 2012, the Department of Homeland Security announced an immigration program known as the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. That program allows certain unauthorized aliens who entered the United States as children to apply for a two-year forbearance of removal. Now, keep in mind that word forbearance. You're going to hear it a lot. Those granted such relief are also eligible for work authorization and various federal benefits. Some 700,000 aliens have availed themselves of this opportunity. Five years later, 
the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, advised DHS to rescind DACA based on his conclusion that it was unlawful. The department's acting security issued a memorandum terminating the program on that basis. The termination was challenged by affected individuals and third parties who allege, among other things, that the acting secretary of DHS had violated the Administrative Procedure Act, the APA, by failing to adequately address important factors bearing on her decision. For the reasons that follow, muddled as they may be, we conclude that the acting secretary did violate the APA and that the rescission must be vacated. So overall, it's exactly as I described. You have an Obama administration signing what amounts to an executive order in DACA, putting in place this program that gives both forbearance, which means that the INS will not choose to adjudicate or use its enforcement powers against this specific class of people as identified in that memo, forbearance, and also that that specific class of people would receive certain federal benefits. Those are two prongs, and it's that two-prong approach that Roberts is going to rely upon in his decision. Now, in order to give a little bit more background, we have to understand why DHS, why the Attorney General thought that DACA was illegal. So we have to actually talk about a different federal regulation called DAPA, which is another executive order-based rule. In November of 2014, two years after DACA was promulgated, DHS issued a memorandum announcing that it would expand DACA eligibility by removing the age cap, shifting the date of entry requirement from 2007 to 2010, and extending the deferred action and work authorization period to three years. In the same memorandum, DHS created a new related program known as Deferred Action for Parents of Americans and Lawful Permanent Residents, or DAPA. So DACA is talking about children, the quote-unquote dreamers you might hear discussed, and DAPA was talking about those children's parents, for the most part. We're paraphrasing some important distinctions, but that's basically how this worked. Now, DAPA was actually enjoined, and the Fifth Circuit wound up holding up that enjoyment, saying that the injunction was going to be allowed. In opposing the injunction initially, the government argued that the DAPA memorandum reflected an unreviewable exercise of the government's enforcement discretion. So I have you keeping in mind forbearance, and you're also going to want to keep in mind the concept of discretion. So the government has this DAPA memorandum, and they say, hey, look, you can't review under the APA things that are discretionary. And forbearance, not using our powers, are always discretionary and have always been allowed at basically every level of government. You might be familiar with the term prosecutorial discretion. It means that, hey, as a government agency, yes, we have all these laws to enforce, but we also only have X million number of dollars. We also only have 100 employees or whatever that number might be. So we are always going to be having to make decisions about how to use our power, how to use our money, how to use our resources in the way that makes the most sense. And when we use that discretion, when we decide not to enforce a specific set of rules, you don't have the ability to review it. That's a very important concept for what Roberts does in this case, because it's basically how he's going to get around even reviewing it in the first place, and then nonetheless use it as the cudgel with which to beat down the DHS and their rescission. Now, the Fifth Circuit majority disagreed with that government opinion of DAPA. We're not talking about DACA right this second. It reasoned that the deferred action described in the DAPA memorandum was much more than non-enforcement. It would affirmatively confer lawful presence and associated benefits on a class of unlawfully present aliens. 
From this, the majority concluded that the creation of the DAPA program was not an unreviewable action committed to agency discretion by law. And we'll see that language again. The majority then upheld the injunction on two grounds. It first concluded the states were likely to succeed on their procedural claim that the DAPA memorandum was a substantive rule that was required to undergo notice and comment. So under the APA, if you are making a substantive non-discretionary rule, you have to go through a process of notice and comment at the federal agency level. If this isn't your first time in virtual legality, you know this is the kind of thing we talked about with respect to COPPA, that the FTC has been putting forth all these various rules, receiving notice and comment on all these various rules because they have to go through that process to actually change them. Now, do they actually have to listen to all those comments? Do they actually have to take them in? No, not so much. For the most part, the court gives a broad level of discretion to federal agencies to do what they will after they go through the APA process. So here, the Fifth Circuit actually determined that DAPA was a problem because it was substantive enough that it should have gone through the APA notice and comment period. It also then held that the APA required DAPA to be set aside because the program was manifestly contrary to the INA, the actual Immigration Act, which expressly and carefully provides legal designations allowing defined classes to receive benefits as associated with lawful presence, etc., etc. Now, the Supreme Court ultimately decided not to review this Fifth Circuit decision, so they didn't have an opinion, but it was upheld. So this kind of concept, the fact that DAPA was illegal, was allowed under the court system and was the basis for what DHS decided to do about the older DACA order. In fact, we can see that right here. Then in June 2017, following a change in presidential administrations, DHS rescinded the DAPA memorandum, not DACA yet. In explaining that decision, DHS cited the preliminary injunction and ongoing litigation in Texas, the fact that DAPA had never taken effect and the new administration's immigration enforcement priorities. Three months later, in September 2017, Attorney General Jefferson B. Sessions III, Jeff Sessions to us, sent a letter to Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Elaine C. Duke advising that DHS should rescind DACA as well. Now, that's important. The Attorney General is actually telling DHS to rescind this particular order. Citing the Fifth Circuit's opinion and this court's equally divided affirmance, the Attorney General concluded that DACA shared the same legal defects that the courts recognized as to DAPA and was likely to meet a similar fate. In light of the costs and burdens that a rescission would impose on DHS, the Attorney General urged DHS to consider an orderly and efficient wind-down process. The next day, Duke acted on the Attorney General's advice and then put out a decision memorandum which is at the heart of the discussion of this case. So, Trump takes office 2017. He has his attorney general look at this issue. DAPA is rescinded. And then he tells DHS to rescind DACA as well. They do that under a memorandum. And that leads to a whole bunch of lawsuits. Now, one thing that you might not hear in the reporting on this case, or that you might read just on the Twitter feed or the NPR headlines or various other things that I saw already this afternoon, is that the court decision here does not say that the Trump administration cannot rescind DACA. It does not. In fact, it plainly states the opposite. The dispute before the court is not whether DHS may rescind DACA. All parties agree that it may. 
The dispute is instead primarily about the procedure the agency followed in doing so. Now, that may sound like angels on the head of a pin to you. If they are allowed to do it and they give some kind of justification for it, and in fact, they do. The memorandum that they put out there said it is illegal that we don't have the authority to do this, so we are rescinding it. And we actually put in some protections in place so you have some kind of grandfathering in, so you can have an extra two years if you were already in or you're six months away from renewal, that kind of thing. But otherwise, we have full authority to do this and we have declared to you that it is illegal. Chief Justice Roberts admits that DHS can do that because it was only ever put into place by executive order. And yet, the case continues. Now, first we look at the APA. If you aren't familiar with this, the basic premise around which this case is operating is that you can't do arbitrary or capricious things if it is reviewable by the court. The APA sets forth the procedures by which federal agencies, like Department of Homeland Security, are accountable to the public and their actions subject to review by the courts. It requires agencies to engage in reasoned decision-making and directs that agency actions be set aside if they are arbitrary or capricious. Under this narrow standard of review, remember this, a court is not to substitute its judgment for that of the agency, but instead to assess only whether the decision was based on a consideration of the relevant factors and whether there has been a clear error of judgment. Now, this is important for the United States government. The judiciary is not supposed to just impose its own discretionary judgment on the policy preferences of either Congress or the executive branch, DHS being an agency of that executive branch. And in fact, Chief Justice Roberts is well-intentioned here by putting this particular phrase in his decision. I am not supposed to substitute my judgment for that of the agency. But does he walk that line? I'm not so sure. Now, before he even gets into discussing the APA, he first has to determine whether or not the actual decision to rescind DACA was in fact reviewable under the APA. Now, the very first thing he winds up saying, because the Duke memorandum is one memorandum that went out there, and I didn't put this in the summary because I already have 50 tabs open, and I want to make sure that this is as svelte and understandable as possible. But he goes for a number of pages and describes the facts that happened nine months after DACA was actually rescinded, where because of some court challenges to that rescission, the next Secretary of Homeland Security actually puts together a memo that it sounds like Roberts would have been more happy with, that more specifically articulated various issues with illegality and legal concerns and policy preferences and all these things that Roberts would apparently have liked to have seen during the initial rescission period, but he doesn't count it. He says that it was post hoc rationalization, even though the later memorandum describes itself as discussing what the original thought process at the agency was. So, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because the Kavanaugh dissent is directly attacking this particular point. And Chief Justice Roberts has a number of footnotes and a number of attack points on both Kavanaugh and Thomas, who writes the lead dissent to this case in and around his opinion. I'm not going to include those here because they're not terribly useful for a discussion of what the case actually says. But I do think the Kavanaugh complaint is justified. Kavanaugh says, hey, when you do this, when you vacate and remand for further decision, you're basically just asking for them to tell us again what they already told us nine months later, but now would be three years after the fact. 
He says, indeed, the ordinary judicial remedy for an agency's insufficient explanation is to remand for further explanation by the relevant agency personnel. We see that all the time. You didn't give us enough info. You have to tell us again. Roberts had a very similar kind of remand when he discussed the census question, where he said, hey, you are allowed to ask this question, but you didn't give us good enough reasons. Try again. Kavanaugh continues with, it would make little sense for a court to exclude official explanations by agency personnel such as a cabinet secretary simply because the explanations are purportedly post hoc and then to turn around and remand for further explanation by those same agency personnel. Yet that is the upshot of the court's application of the post hoc justification doctrine today. The court's refusal to look at the Nielsen memorandum seems particularly mistaken, moreover, because the Nielsen Memorandum shows that the department back in 2018 considered the policy issues that the court today says the department did not consider. So you're at loggerheads. You have Roberts and Kavanaugh fighting about this point, whether a memorandum nine months after the fact that says that it's explaining better what was actually the original thought process should be counted for this purpose. And if not, what exactly this entire kind of functional apparatus of the judiciary serves if you're essentially just going to go ask them to tell you again now three years later exactly what you said might have been okay nine months after the fact except for the fact that it wasn't contemporaneous it's all kind of magic words and legal language and kavanaugh has a problem with it and frankly so do i now the main issue here is whether or not the DACA rescission is in fact discretionary or that DACA itself was discretionary. I've only pulled up this little bit of the APA to kind of give context for what this entire argument is about. The APA does not apply if what we are talking about is agency discretion. This chapter applies according to the provisions thereof, except to the extent that agency action is committed to agency discretion by law. And what's important about that is as we talked about at the front end, forbearance, not using your resources, figuring out how to triage what you've got against what you don't, is at the heart of discretionary capability of executive branch offices, of prosecutor's offices, of whatever it might be as a government function. And that has been and really always will be a part of administrative law. But Roberts doesn't stop there. He says instead that DACA isn't just forbearance. The benefits attendant to deferred action provide further confirmation that DACA is more than simply a non-enforcement policy. As described above, by virtue of receiving deferred action, the 700,000 DACA recipients may request work authorization and are eligible for Social Security and Medicare. Unlike an agency's refusal to take requested enforcement action, access to these types of benefits is an interest courts often are called upon to protect. Because the DACA program is more than a non-enforcement policy, its rescission is subject to review under the APA. This is a very important bit of logic that Roberts uses here, and in my opinion, it's a very problematic bit of logic. So he says, basically, now I've cut off a lot of the extra paragraphs, you're going to have to take my word on it a little bit, He says that if it were just forbearance, if this was just prosecutorial discretion, triage of department resources, then the government might have a case. In fact, the government likely would have a case to say that's pure discretion. You can't judge those kinds of things. However, because it isn't just forbearance, but also benefits, also Social Security and Medicare and work authorization, then we are allowed 
to review it. But keep in mind what we already read. The reason DHS decided that this was illegal was because the Fifth Circuit decided that the DAPA benefits were illegal. They didn't really talk about forbearance, and that's a hook that Roberts hangs his hat on. But if you bifurcate these executive orders into those two parts, then I don't see how you get to a place where you can actually adjudge the forbearance policies of the agency. Because that prong, that particular prong, is not argued anywhere to be non-discretionary. And we'll see how he gets into even more trouble as we proceed with his reasoning. We turn finally to whether DHS's decision to rescind DACA was arbitrary and capricious. As noted earlier, Acting Secretary Duke's justification for the rescission was succinct, taking into consideration the Fifth Circuit's conclusion that DAPA was unlawful because it conferred benefits in violation of the INA and the Attorney General's conclusion that DACA was unlawful for the same reason, she concluded without elaboration that the DACA program should be terminated. Respondents, those people that are upset about that rescission, maintain that this explanation is deficient for three reasons. Their first and second arguments work in tandem, claiming that the Duke Memorandum does not adequately explain the conclusion that DACA is unlawful and that this conclusion is, in any event, wrong. While those arguments carried the day in the lower courts, in our view, they overlook an important constraint on acting Secretary Duke's decision-making authority. She was bound by the Attorney General's legal determination. That's how this whole thing works. So the court actually says, we understand why you said it was illegal. You were bound by the Attorney General's characterization, but it's still not good enough. Whether DACA is illegal is, of course, a legal determination and therefore a question for the Attorney General. But deciding how best to address a finding of illegality moving forward can involve important policy policy choices, especially when the finding concerns a program with the breadth of DACA. Those policy choices are for DHS. So note what the court is imposing here. Even though it's illegal, and we're not going to discuss it because we've already opined by not opining that the Fifth Circuit was right that benefits under DAPA were illegal. So benefits under DACA are almost certainly illegal as well. They're almost the exact same thing. Without even saying that, even if we assume that it is illegal, you had some obligations to wind it down better, to use your policy discretion in a way that I, Chief Justice Roberts, in my robes and unelected as I am, would decide was a more beneficent, more beneficial way to use that discretionary authority. While the factual setting is different here, the error is the same. Even if it is illegal for DHS to extend work authorization and other benefits to DACA recipients, that conclusion supported only disallowing benefits. It did not cast doubt on the legality of forbearance or upon DHS's original reasons for extending forbearance to childhood arrivals. Thus, given DHS's earlier judgment that forbearance is especially justified for productive young people who were brought here as children and know only this country as home, the DACA memorandum could not be rescinded in full without any consideration whatsoever of a forbearance-only policy. There you go. The rubber has hit the road. Chief Justice John Roberts arrives at an APA examination of this particular rescission by virtue of the fact that it isn't only forbearance and then says, hey, if the other prong is actually illegal, you still should have justified not forbearing. 
even though you have no specific way to prove to us that it wasn't entirely within your discretion. And in fact, we acknowledge that it was. That's the trick. That's the magician's gambit. That's the penal tax. That is a Chief Justice Roberts decision. He makes it even worse. The rescission memorandum contains no discussion of forbearance or the option of retaining forbearance without benefits. So Duke entirely failed to consider that important aspect of the program. Problem. That omission alone renders acting Secretary Duke's decision arbitrary and capricious. But it is not the only defect. Duke also failed to address whether there was legitimate reliance on the DACA memorandum. Now, we have to back up a step here because this is a bit of a judicial kind of temperament issue. But the arbitrary and capricious standard is all that's really put forth in the APA. And so the judiciary, over the course of a number of years, comes up with various rules and rubrics as to how those words are to be interpreted by the courts. And one of the things that pops up in various numbers of these cases is that you are more likely to be arbitrary if you change something on which a lot of people are relying. However, if there is no legitimate reason for that reliance, then you were probably more within your power to do that thing. So we turn to the actual DACA memorandum, and we see here the final paragraph that uh, Attorney General Janet Napolitano put in here. It says, this memorandum confers no substantive right, immigration status, or pathway to citizenship. Now, I'm a lawyer, but even if you're not a lawyer, when you see the phrase, this memo confers no right, I think you should read that as you have nothing to rely upon here. We can rescind this. We can change it. We can change any functional aspect of this. It is not conferring some kind of status on you that you can sue us over. And this was as clear as possible in a three-page document that anybody who is directly facing these particular issues probably should have read. And so when the court says you didn't take into account legitimate reliance interests, I'm immediately thrust into the question of how can anybody rely on an executive order of an outgoing president when you know a new president is going to come in and take that seat that says expressly in its terms that it confers no substantive right. But the court doesn't even address that concept. Instead, they put their own policy determinations in place of the agencies. These are certainly noteworthy concerns, says Chief Justice Roberts, but they are not necessarily dispositive. To the government and lead dissent's point, DHS could respond that reliance on forbearance and benefits was unjustified in light of the express limitations in the DACA memorandum. Or it might conclude that reliance interests in in benefits that it views as unlawful are entitled to no or diminished weight. And even if DHS ultimately concludes that the reliance interests rank is serious, they are but one factor to consider. DHS may determine in the particular context before it that other interests and policy concerns outweigh any reliance interests. Making that difficult decision was the agency's job, but the agency failed to do it. No, Chief Justice, I don't think, in fact, that they did. By saying that it was illegal, no one can have a legitimate reliance interest on an ultra-virus act of the federal government. Furthermore, the actual memorandum itself said don't rely on this thing. And so if people got into a reliance situation based on that memorandum, it's not a legitimate one, and the law shouldn't be backing up what is an illegitimate reliance function, or you wind up with all sorts of trouble, and you wind up incentivizing people to wrongfully rely on rules, regulations, and laws that can be changed at a moment's notice. 
So the Chief Justice is manifestly wrong here. And yes, that's only my opinion. And the Supreme Court has the ability to tell us what the law is. But as someone who reads these things quite often, I do feel that this is the incorrect conclusion to base this particular decision on. So what we have here is we have the Supreme Court saying, we can review this because it's not just forbearance-based, but even if we take out the part that isn't forbearance-based, you should have thought about doing something about that whole forbearance thing, even if it was within your entire discretion, because a lot of people were relying on the benefits related to the memorandum, benefits which might or might not be illegal, but which probably are, and that we're not even going to fight about or discuss in this particular opinion. Finally, he finishes up with the following. We do not decide whether DACA or its rescission are sound policies. The wisdom of those decisions is none of our concern. We address only whether the agency complied with the procedural requirement that it provide a reasoned explanation for its action. Here, the agency failed to consider the conspicuous issues of whether to retain forbearance and what, if anything, to do about the hardship to DACA recipients. That dual failure raises doubts about whether the agency appreciated the scope of its discretion or exercised that discretion in a reasonable manner. The appropriate recourse is therefore to remand to DHS so that it may consider the problem anew. Remember, DHS, by a Supreme Court's acknowledgement, is fully within its authority to rescind DACA. It just needs to say so with more magic language. And so the court basically said, give us more magic language, but also give us magic language that acknowledges these things and says they are of no weight and no consequence. So the action itself isn't arbitrary. The reasoning, according to Chief Justice Roberts, is arbitrary, but also in the face of a rescission based on an illegality that the Fifth Circuit, affirmed by the Supreme Court, found would most likely be won by the states because it conveyed a substantive benefit which required a notice and comment period that the previous presidential administration failed to give it. So the Roberts court has said, your discretion wasn't used in the way we liked. Your discretion was used to rescind something that you rightfully found was unlawful after we affirmed the Fifth Circuit's decision that it was unlawful. We still nevertheless find a problem with your reasoning and your short form memorandum because you didn't give us the policy preferences that I, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, would have liked to have seen. This is a tire fire and a train wreck of a decision. And Chief Justice Roberts has to answer to fellow Justice Thomas on that point. In the lead dissent, Justice Thomas says as follows, Today's decision must be recognized for what it is, an effort to avoid a politically controversial but legally correct decision. The court could have made clear that the solution respondents seek must come from the legislative branch. Instead, the majority has decided to prolong DHS's initial overreach by providing a stopgap measure of its own. In doing so, it has given the green light for future political battles to be fought in this court rather than where they rightfully belong, the political branches. Such timidity forsakes the court's duty to apply the law according to neutral principles and the ripple effects of the majority's error will be felt throughout our system of self-government. I think that's an important point. And one of the things that really bothers me, you heard me say at the top of this video, I'm in favor of more robust immigration. I am in favor of Congress dealing with these particular issues. One of the problems here is that I would very much be able to 
love to be able to tell my clients or various other people that are dealing with these issues that this is what happened to DACA. It is allowed. It is not allowed that the court made some definitive determination of what the law is as required by Marbury versus Madison, the most important precedent in Supreme Court history. But the court instead kicks that can down the road, not because it so much cares, but because it doesn't want to get into a political controversy right now, some months in front of a presidential election. And the people that are hurt are not Chief Justice Roberts. They're not Justice Thomas. They're not any of these people. They're not me. The people that are hurt are the people that are left in DACA limbo with the acknowledgement that the Trump administration and DHS can rescind all of this tomorrow. And further, now empowered to put into place any program that they like, extra constitutional, extra legal or not, on the acknowledgement that it's going to be that much harder for the next president to rescind that action because you have to rescind with APA notice and comment and all the various bells and whistles, but you don't have to put it in place with that same system. So yes, we are unfortunately left in a state of limbo. We don't know what the law is. It's very likely that the administration will still rescind DACA or maybe not, depending on the presidential election, but we don't know. Those people don't know. And that is unfair and an abrogation of the court's duty. Thomas continues, perhaps even more unfortunately, the majority's holding creates perverse incentives, particularly for outgoing administrations. Under the auspices of today's decision, administrations can bind their successors by unlawfully adopting significant legal changes through executive branch agency memoranda. Even if the agency lacked authority to effectuate the changes, the changes cannot be undone by the same agency in a successor administration unless the successor provides sufficient policy justifications to the satisfaction of this court, or more particularly, the chief justice. In other words, the majority erroneously holds the agency is not only permitted, but required to continue administering unlawful programs that it inherited from a previous administration. I respectfully dissent, in part, because there's all sorts of different things happening with respect to the various cases that were brought to the Supreme Court on this particular concept. Finally, Thomas concludes, President Trump's acting Secretary of Homeland Security inherited a program created by President Obama's secretary that was implemented without statutory authority and without following the APA's required procedures. Then Attorney General Sessions correctly concluded that this ultra vires program should be rescinded. Ultra vires, if you're not familiar with that term, I know I used it earlier in the video, means outside the power, outside of the authority. All functions of government, of corporations, of contract law are based around the assumption that you have certain rights and you can't do other things outside of those rights. Ultra vires means you try to do something beyond the scope of your powers. These cases could and should have ended with a determination that his legal conclusion was correct. Instead, the majority today concludes that DHS was required to do far more. Without grounding its position in either the APA or precedent, the majority declares that DHS was required to overlook DACA's obvious legal deficiencies and provide additional policy reasons and justifications before restoring the rule of law. This holding is incorrect and it will hamstring all future agency attempts to undo actions that exceed statutory authority. And again, I think that Justice Thomas has by far the better of it. Chief Justice Roberts wanted to get to a conclusion here that DACA survived and he attached whatever logic he could find to whatever thing he could attach it to. And the end result is a mealy-mouthed, 
remediation to ask President Trump to rescind it again with a better memoranda. And unfortunately, that does nothing. It doesn't help the Chief Justice. It doesn't help SCOTUS. It doesn't help the executive. It sure as hell doesn't help those people living in DACA limbo. And that is unfortunately the state of the law as it stands today. So this was a little bit more than a half hour. I apologize. I had to get through a lot. And I hope you enjoyed this. We are talking about these kinds of things all the time now. SCOTUS decisions all over the place. We just discussed Bostock in which the Supreme Court determined that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act actually barred discrimination on the basis of involvement or presence in an LGBTQ group. And so if you're interested in that kind of thing, I do a half hour dive into 172 pages of legal opinion making in that video. Otherwise, we're generally talking about business and law through the prism of pop culture movies, television, and video games in this space, and I'd very much like to have you join. So please like, subscribe, share, hit bells, comment, comment to other people, engage with the video. We're very happy with our growth so far, but we would love to see it grow even more. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching, and if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.